But I do want you to take out your Bibles, and I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Today, we're going to begin a series entitled 2020 Vision of Jesus. And we will be journeying through the Gospel of Luke over the next couple of months or so as we seek to make sure that you have a clear understanding of who Jesus is. As we preach through this Gospel, we're providing for you a reading plan that begins tomorrow so that you can read through the Gospel as we go along. Now, the reading will not correspond exactly with our preaching as we cannot touch on everything in Luke during the weeks that we will spend on this journey. But it will allow you an opportunity to read the entire text so that you can reaffirm what we are discussing as well as discover some other important truths on your own along the way. In fact, there are bookmarks that look just like this. We've placed them on the Welcome Center just outside the sanctuary or the Welcome Center right before you go out the door, and it'll give you a daily reading plan over the next 10 weeks as we go through this together. And so pick one of those up so that you can read along with us. Also, in addition, if you're technologically savvy and you would like a text reminder in the bulletin, we've placed a way where if you'd like to sign up, we will be glad to give you text reminders of the scriptures to be read that day so you can keep up as we go along, all right? So I hope you're ready for this. Are you ready for the journey? All right, if so, uh, you turn with me as we begin today, Luke chapter 1. We're going to begin verse 1 and read through verse 4 today. It says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught, all right? Now, again, we're going to be introduced to our journey today, and so as we do, I want to begin with a question. I'm going to ask you this question, and I really want your response, all right? So I want you to respond verbally. It's actually a true or false question, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask the question, I'm going to count to three, and then we're going to respond. Is that Okay. Is that okay? All right, okay. All right, I just want to make sure you're with me this morning, okay? Here's the question, true or false? Everyone in the world is a believer. One, two, three. All right, now here in church, you see, we have a common response. We want to say false. Not everyone is a believer in Jesus. But that's not what I ask. I asked the question, is everyone a believer? Not is everyone a believer in Jesus? See, the actual correct answer to my question is true. Everyone in the world is the believer. Everyone believes in something. The real question is this, are people believing in something worth believing in? We look here at this text, or what we're going to see is you'll study What you'll find is that everybody believes in something. Even those who would say that they are atheists believe in something. They may be believing in themselves. They may be believing in science or they may be believing in nature, but they are believing in something. And whatever a person is believing in, they are then living their life based on what they believe in. If you look into Hindus, for example, they believe in many gods, but typically focus on worshiping a single god called Brahman and also hold to the ideas of karma and reincarnation. 
Muslims believe in a singular God, but their faith is based upon the teachings of Muhammad. And so they believe in the prophet Muhammad and they follow his teachings. We can go on today and talk about many different things that people believe in. But what people believe in, though it is diverse, the reality is this, that all people are believers. Therefore, I really should ask this question instead of my original question. Is what you believe in worth believing in? Now, to answer that, ultimately, you need to do this. You need to know what and why you believe. Over the next number of weeks, we're going to be looking at the life of Jesus, and we're going to be asking basically this question, is he worth believing in? If you get a clear vision, a 2020 vision of Jesus, we have to ask, do you find one who is worthy of your devotion? Do you find one who is worthy of your faith? As Luke writes his gospel, his account of the life of Jesus He writes with a specific purpose. Look at verses three and four again to see what his purpose was. He says, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may, look at this, have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Now, what is very clear is that Luke wrote for the purpose that there would be certainty concerning what had been taught. And in order to do this, he said he was writing an orderly account. Now, for those that are unfamiliar with Luke, know this. He was a physician. He was a man that was used to being detail-oriented and procedural-oriented. And so he approached his recording of the life of Jesus in a manner that would be filled with detail and one that would be written in an orderly way. When you even consider who he was writing to, the recipient of his letter was named Theophilus. And many have tried to specifically identify who this Theophilus was without really fully understanding or really even knowing. Since it was says here this was the most excellent Theophilus, we get the impression that Theophilus was a real person of some type of rank who had an interest in Christianity. In fact, most believe that this was a Roman acquaintance of Luke. However, what is interesting is this. His name, Theophilus, means this, one who loves God, all right? One who loves God. It has led some to conclude that Luke is really writing to all believers. Now, we don't know which the case is, but whichever the case, Luke's purpose is the same. He is wanting those who have an interest in Christianity to have certainty about what they have been taught, to know what they believe and why they believe it. This should be the goal, really, for everyone here this morning who claims to be a believer in Jesus Christ. You should want to know why and what you believe. You know, too often, here's the attitude people has when it comes to faith in Jesus. They say, well, once I believe and I'm baptized, well, that's all I need to do. Now, in one sense, you could say that is true. Because a person's salvation is based upon Jesus and what he has done and your faith in him. Baptism should be the expression of a genuine commitment to Jesus Christ, which should come with a measure of assurance and finality. But here is where every believer needs to be, where you say, I want to understand what I believe and why I believe it. And why should you want to? Because I hope you would want to make sure that you are believing in something that is true. How do you know if what you believe is true? You have to study and you have to investigate to make sure. Too many times people have just believed what others have told them without their own investigation. In fact, why do so many people fall into false religions? Because they fail to investigate. Here's the great thing about Christianity. Are you ready? It will withstand your investigation into its claims. 
When, when people say to you, to believe in Jesus, you have to check your brain at the door, I'm here to tell them, they just don't understand Christianity. Also, people who say that must have failed to investigate because Christianity is a religion that will withstand investigation. In fact, it is a religion that investigates you to, to or invites you to investigate into its claims and into its truths. When I consider these opening words of Luke, I'm reminded that I have, as I've been saying, that everyone who claims to be a Christian should take the time to study and know why and what you believe. You need that for your own sake, but you also need it for the sake of others. I mean, believers should be able to answer the questions of those who come to them and say, how can you believe that? Or why do you believe what you believe? Listen, don't ever look back at somebody who asks a question like that and say, well, I don't know. I just do. I just have faith. That's not a good answer, especially in the world that we live in. We need to have the answers. You need to study to show yourself as one who knows what you believe. There's also the challenge here that as a believer, we should be helping others know the truth. You will continue to hear us speak in the days, weeks, months, even years ahead on this idea of discipleship. Discipleship being where a believer is helping others come to know Jesus and also helping other believers grow in their faith. Discipleship is key to a strong church and it is key to having strong Christians in the world. In fact, parents, let me even remind you of this. If you're not helping your children understand the truths of Jesus and his word and to know why they believe and why they should believe and why they should believe, don't be surprised when they go off to college or maybe even when they go to high school and they come home one day and say, I don't believe anymore. Because I'm going to guarantee you this. They are being bombarded by those who don't believe as to why they shouldn't believe in Jesus. And if we don't help them know the truths of Jesus Christ more fully, we will continue to see young people walk away from the faith. Luke's whole purpose in writing, he said, was so that Theophilus would have certainty concerning the things that he had been taught, which tells me that Luke was concerned enough about another believer that he was willing to do whatever it took to help them grow and to be strong in their faith. And I pray that we would do the same. I pray that we would be willing to share with somebody and explain to somebody what I believe and why we believe it and why Jesus Christ is true. Now, as we consider the fact that you should know what and why you believe, I want to say this to you. You should have confidence that what the Bible records is true. Ultimately, with anything you believe, all right, there is a source for why you believe it, correct? Yes. For anything you believe, there is a source. So what is our major source for what we believe? Correct. The Bible. Right here. Our major source for what we believe is the Bible. And so we have to ask ourselves, can I believe what it says? See, even when it comes to the life of Jesus, our main sources are the four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke even mentions this in his introduction in verse 1. He says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word had delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you. You see, Luke understands that what he is sharing is not the only account of the life of Jesus, but what he is writing is an orderly account. He was compiling a narrative of the things that had happened. His account obviously included eyewitness accounts of events, which we will see as we read through the text. 
And like I said, as a physician, Luke was used to detail. He was used to observation. And he was using these skills as a physician to relay an orderly account of the life of Jesus. He was saying this. He was saying, you can believe what I am sharing with you. Now, what is interesting is that he said many have undertaken to compile a narrative, yet we have only four Gospels. That reason is because ultimately God saw fit that these would be the accounts that we had. And he gave us these by working in the lives of godly people to affirm that what was recorded through the ages was accurate. There most likely were people who wrote not so accurately, but what we have preserved as holy scriptures are those God saw fit to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. Now, as we analyze these holy scriptures and say, hey, are they true? We can find several reasons to say we trust it. The first being this, that it is historical. What is recorded is actually events in history. These are not made up stories. Even in the next verse in Luke 1, it reads this in verse 5. It says, or it's in chapter 1 of verse 5, it says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, or her name was Elizabeth. In others, here we see Luke name a king, a priest, and the priest's wife, and even the family lineage of Elizabeth. In chapter 2, there is a mention of Caesar Augustus and a census he ordered. And chapter 3 even starts by saying this. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee and his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Etoria and Trachonitis and Lysanias tetrarch of Abilene during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. Luke gave these very specific names, which he obviously didn't make up or he would have made them easier to read. He names these, 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 these names and times because he's, re, he's recording historical facts that could be checked. Now, now, what some have tried to do is simply say that the people and place listed in the Bible didn't actually exist. Luke's writing would have been quickly dismissed in his time and discarded if these facts were not true. But since thousands of years have passed, in some ways it can be a little difficult to fact check today. But the reality is that if Luke was writing fiction... He would not have given such specific historical detail. Also, what we can know with confidence is that as more and more archaeological discoveries happen, time and time again, the Bible is proven to be accurate. Listen to what Millar Burroughs, who is a professor of archaeology at Yale University, said. He said, on the whole, archaeology work has unquestionably strengthened confidence in the reliability of the scriptural record. More than one archaeologist has found his respect for the Bible increased by the experience of excavation in Palestine. Archaeology has, in many cases, refuted the views of modern critics, modern critics being those people who want to disprove of the Bible. On and on, there are other things that we can state and prove. For example, Nelson Gluck states, on one hand, it may be stated categorically that no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. Whereas, on the other hand, scores of archaeological finds have been made which confirm in clear outline or exact detail historical statements in the Bible. You see, folks, we could look at specific findings today if we had time, all right? If we could, I could give you evidence upon evidence upon evidence. But what you need to know that you can study and you can look even into archaeology, and it continues to back up the historical accuracy of the Bible, it can be trusted. 
Luke put these specific names, these specific times, because he wants you to know that what I'm writing about is history and you can go back and study it. Other religions cannot say the same. If you go back and look at other religions time and time again, it has been proven that they are historically inaccurate or what happens cannot be proven. Therefore, when we look at what Luke has recorded, we are reading history. Now, we can also trust what we read here in Luke because it is biblical. And what I mean with that is if what Luke shares and Christianity proclaims is true, then it must go hand in hand with the rest of Scripture. And most specifically, we must see prophecy in the Old Testament fulfilled. Notice again how Luke started his gospel. He said, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. The, word, the Greek word translated here as the phrase have been accomplished can also be translated has been fulfilled. In other words, Luke is recording what God has fulfilled. In the Old Testament, we have promises made. While in the New Testament, we have promises kept. As we look into Luke, we will see many of the promises that God has kept. In fact, if you look at the account of the birth of Jesus just in Luke chapter 2, you will see the detail there, such as him being born in Bethlehem, that was prophesied in the Old Testament book of Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And that's just one example. But what is recorded fulfills so much prophecy that we see this statement by Jesus at the end of Luke in Luke 24, where he said, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Again, the key word that Jesus said is fulfilled. Luke is biblically consistent, showing that what God has started, he was working out until everything comes to completion. You can even look in Luke 3 and you find a genealogy of Jesus. And the genealogy traces the lineage of Jesus all the way back to the first man, Adam, who is introduced, guess where? In the first book of the Bible, Genesis. All right. In other words, Luke is writing and saying, look, what is happening here was, was, was fulfilling what God had promised many years ago. In fact, I, I kind of maybe a little bit inaccurate there because that genealogy actually traces Jesus back not to Adam, but actually chase, traces Jesus back to God. Who it says in Genesis 1, 1, the very first book of the Bible, in the beginning, God. You see, what Luke is recording can be trusted because it's biblically consistent. It is a part of what God's working throughout in history, and it is pointing you to faith in Jesus. In fact, that is why Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, how from childhood You have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God and it is profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You see, when you recognize the consistency of the Bible and how it attests specifically to Luke's gospel being trustworthy, you can also look and trust what Luke records because it is also verifiable. You see, the fact that it is historical and biblical in part makes Luke's gospel verifiable. 
But beyond that, Luke wanted us to know that what he was recording was not something made up. His mentioning of eyewitnesses was intentional, especially when he wrote. He wanted the reader to know that if there was any doubt about what he was sharing, then Theophilus could go and interview the witnesses that were still alive. How did Luke know the details of what happened surrounding John the Baptist's birth? He had to interview those involved. How did he know the details surrounding the birth of Jesus? He interviewed those involved. He gives us details that others do not because of his investigative style of writing. He worked to verify that what he was writing was true. Now, something else we can do to verify what Luke recorded is this, is remember, we have three other gospels that record the life of Jesus. Therefore, what one can do is read them as well to collaborate what Luke wrote. I mean, if Luke uh, has taken the time to make sure that what is written is true, then surely there had been some others that recorded the same thing, wouldn't you think? Yes, right? And sure enough, in the other gospels, we see other accounts of the life of Jesus Christ that validate what Luke writes about Jesus. Because again, remember that the goal as we go through Luke is to get a clear picture of Jesus. It's to get a 2020 vision of Jesus. I want it known as we go through Luke, it's not for us to get to know Luke. In fact, can I tell you something? In this gospel, Luke's name is never mentioned. I'll even say this. And you go to his companion book, which is the book of Acts. He also wrote as a follow-up to this one. You'll never see the name of Luke mentioned. Now, Paul mentions Luke later, but Luke never mentions himself. Why? Because Luke wanted to, this book is not about me. What is it about? It's about Jesus Christ. It's pointing to you that you might know him and know who Jesus is. And what Luke is saying, look, the claims that I'm making, what I'm writing about can be verified and saying, I want you to know that this is true. Now, here's what some will say in regards to this. They'll say, well, well, Brother Scott, when I read the other gospels, I find some differences. They're not exactly alike. Well, that is, that is true, all right? But let's quickly be reminded of this that there should be natural differences. If you have, for example, four people who are eyewitnesses accounts of the same event, there will be some natural differences in part because of their view or maybe their perspective of what happened. When you look at the gospel, Luke is more chronological, say, than John, because Luke was a detailed person. John didn't care about chronology. John wrote with a clear and stated purpose that he wanted people to know who Jesus was, and so he wrote with a measure of symbolism. The events were true, but for example, when John said it was night, for him, it was as much a symbol of the condition of people's heart as it was the reality of the time of day. When John told about the events of Jesus' life, he didn't care if they were in order. He just cared that you understood the importance of those events to understand who Jesus was and what his mission was. John's perspective was clearly spiritual, and he shared the events of Jesus' life to make sure the spiritual perspective came through clearly. Also, for example, Matthew wrote to a particular Jewish audience, and so he included details that were most relevant to those who were Jews. For example, the genealogy. If you read Matthew, it starts with a genealogy, tracing it through the line of the Jews. And a Jew would pick that up and say, oh, I see how Jesus relates to me, and I see where he comes from. Matthew had that purpose of speaking to Jewish believers. Each author had a little different emphasis, and so some things are told a little differently. But overall, they each affirm the truth that the other shared. I would even challenge you today, if you look at the Gospels and say, well, I can't trust them because there's some differences. Can I challenge you to do this? Study and tell me if any of the difference you find make a difference in the truth of who Jesus is. 
Do that. Go, go through, pick up all the difference. Say, well, this is different, this is different. And then I'm going to ask you the question. Okay, I, I, I'll give you your difference, but ask, answer me this. Does the difference that you found make a difference in what the Gospels have told you about who Jesus Christ is? You want know the answer to that? The answer is absolutely not. Even though there is some differences, they never, listen, they, they never contradict each other in this fact, that Jesus was God in flesh, that he was sent to be the Savior of the world who came and lived that sinless life, who died on the cross for the sins of the world, who then was buried for three days and rose again to prove who he was and to prove he had the power to forgive sin and give eternal life. The truth of Jesus Christ ultimately is what is important, and that's what we need to verify. Because, listen, folks, if that is true, if what Luke tells us about Jesus is true, if what Matthew tells us about Jesus is true, if what John tells us about Jesus is true, if what the Gospels tell us about Jesus is true, here's what I'm going to tell you. It should change your life. It should. And so we have to, if this is true, what am I going to do with this information? Now, here's what I'm going to say. I'm in the camp that, in fact, finds a measure of comfort that there are some slight insignificant differences in the four Gospels. Because, folks, if there was no difference, I would have to assume this, that there was some collusion where a story was just being made up for us to believe about something that was not true. And so the people got together and say, let's get our story straight so they'll believe us. Right. But there wasn't any collusion here. There are slight differences because these are four people who write their account of Jesus from their perspective. And yes, there's slight differences. But, folks, that gives me great assurance that what I read is true. Now, C.S. Lewis believed what we have recorded in the Gospels was true and verifiable himself. He was a student of literature, including myths, and he made this statement about the Gospels. He said, now, as a literary historian, I am perfectly convinced that whatever else the Gospels are, they are not legends. I have read a great deal of legend, and I'm quite clear that they are not the same sort of thing. They are not artistic enough to be legends. From an imaginative point of view, they are clumsy. They don't work up to things properly. In other words, I hope you hear what C.S. Lewis is saying. He's a very smart, he's a much smarter guy than I am. And he looked and he said, look, when I read the Gospels, here's what they're not. They're not legends. Because some people want to look at the Gospels and say, oh, this is a legend, that Jesus Christ was a legend. And C.S. Lewis says, no, as I've studied from a historical literature perspective, this is not legend. In other words, C.S. Lewis would say, what we're reading in the Gospel is truth. In fact, C.S. Lewis, if you want to read more on these topics, go read his book, such as Mere Christianity. And it will help you take you deeper in this, further in this topic about why should I believe what is written is true. Folks, we can verify what we read, and we should trust what Luke writes, and we should trust in the Jesus that it proclaims. You see, in fact, there's one point I want to make, one more point here, uh, that, that about having confidence in what the Bible records. You need to understand that the Bible, including Luke, is also miraculous. Okay. There are things that are recorded that are miraculous. No matter how much you go back and study history and find out that what is recorded is true, no matter how much you go back and see the consistency with the rest of Scripture and no, how much you verify what you see with the other Gospels, among other things, you're still going to be faced with this fact that what I read is miraculous. And there comes a point where you're going to have to exercise faith. That is why in Hebrews, it says this in regards to God in Hebrews eleven six, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. Though there is much that we can observe and verify that helps reassure us that what we believe is true, you can never do away with faith. 
because the full workings of God are divine and miraculous. That is why as we consider this introduction to Luke and the journey that we're going to be on over the coming weeks, that is why you will be faced with this. Ultimately, you have to decide if you believe in the work and the person of Jesus. You see, two things I want to point out to us briefly, then I'll close this morning. In the first chapter of Luke, we see two events that go right in line with what we have just said. There's the announcement by an angel first about the coming birth of John the Baptist, and then there's an announcement by an angel of the coming birth of Jesus. We see historically Luke speaks of specific people. He speaks of Zechariah, who was the father of, of, of John, and then Mary, who is the mother of Jesus, among others that are listed there. We see what the angel said is the coming fulfillment of Scripture, showing how God is at work, how this is biblically consistent. These are obviously events that would have come from the eyewitness accounts that Luke said he are verifiable. But then they are miraculous events as well. When the angel came and told Zechariah that his wife was going to have a child, it seemed to be an impossible announcement because Zechariah was old and his wife was beyond childbearing years. When the angel came to Mary and told her that she was going to have a child, this too seemed to be impossible because she was a virgin. What we see, though, is two different responses, one unbelief and one belief. Let's first look at Zechariah. In verse 18, and Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Guys, be careful about ever introducing your wife that way, okay? And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not, what? Believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. See, Zechariah was wanting proof. How will I know this thing? Now, I don't know about you, but if an angel was in front of me telling me something, I think I would believe. You? I, I, that, that's enough for me. I, I, I don't need to know, but not Zechariah. He was like, uh, uh, how's uh, how shall I know this is true? Basically, is what I'm saying. I, I, I'm not going to believe what you're saying. How, how can I know? In other words, give me something more. I, I need to see more. I need more before I'm going to believe. Now, as a result, Zechariah was made mute until his child was born. And again, the angel made it clear that what happened to him was happened because he did not believe the angel's words. Okay. Now, on the other hand, listen to Mary's response when the angel appeared to her, telling of her pregnancy. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child be born will be called holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And in this, the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You see, in this moment, Mary was not wanting proof as Zachariah did. She was wondering how it was going to happen. Yes, she was a virgin, but she says, how is this going to happen? She believed it was going to happen. She wasn't wondering, can this happen? She knew it was. How's it going to be? And then ultimately, this is what she did. She yielded her life to the will of the Lord, saying, let it be to me according to your word. What an act of faith. Amen. Let it be to me according to your word. 
Later, when she goes to see Elizabeth, Elizabeth makes this statement about Mary, and blessed is she who, what? Believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. You see, catch this. Both Zachariah and Mary had, in essence, the same experience. They had the same amount of information. One responded with belief and one didn't. My question to you is, will you respond with belief? You see, Luke has written an account for us that is accurate. Luke has written an account for us that is orderly. If you read what is written here, you will be faced with the decision of will you believe in Jesus or not? My prayer will be as we go along that if you have not believed in Jesus, that you will And if you have believed, you will work hard to know what and why you believe so that you will be able to help others know why and what you believe. You see, today as we go and we go through the rest of this journey, let me go ahead and give you a preview of the weeks to come because here's what we're going to discover. You ready? We are going to discover that God loves us all. We're going to discover this, that we have all sinned we have fallen short of God's plan for our life. But God had a plan to take care of that sin, and this is what he did. He sent Jesus to be our Savior. And Jesus came. How? He came as God, the Holy God, in flesh, taking up flesh to do what? To live a sinless life. And after living a sinless life, when which he taught us the truth of God, he then offered his life up as a sacrifice for our sin. He went to that cross where he was condemned as a criminal to die. Why? Because the Bible tells us this, that sin has a price and the price of sin is death. And so Jesus offered himself up to die for us on the cross. After dying up on that cross, he was buried in a borrowed tomb for three days. But three days later, what happened? He rose from that grave to prove who he was to prove that he was the son of God, to prove that he did have the ability to forgive sin, to prove that he could give us eternal life. And then after appearing for his disciples for a short period of time, he ascended into heaven with this promise, I'm coming again someday. You see, as we read, we're going to discover that's who Jesus is. That's what Jesus has done. And the ultimate question is going to be for all of us, do you believe? This morning, as we get ready for an invitation, here's what I know. What I've given you today was really just an introduction. This is setting the stage for the weeks to come. But here's still what I want to know today. Do you need to give your life to Jesus? There are some here today that you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, but you've heard of him many times before. You've heard the same thing that others have heard. You have the same information that others have heard, but you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. My question is, why not? Is it too miraculous for you? I've got news for you. Without faith, you'll never please God. And some of you today, though, you need to come and say, I know I need Jesus as my Savior and Lord. I came in here in darkness, but God has peered through the darkness in my soul. He he has tore that way. He has come into my, he, he wants to come. He called out my name as I even called out to him. And he wants to forgive me. I know that today. Do some of you need to come and give your life to Jesus Christ as Savior and as Lord this morning? I want you to know as we have this invitation, it's an opportunity for you to open your heart to Jesus who died for you. And he's ready to forgive you. He's ready to save you. He is ready to give you a new life this morning. Would you come? In fact, in a moment, I'm going to be standing up front. And I'd love for you to come. If you need to give your life to Jesus Christ, come and let me help you give your life to the one who died for you. But maybe you're here this morning. You say, I believe. I believe long ago. Let me ask you, do you really know what you believe? 
I hope you'll take the challenge as we go through these weeks to be reaffirmed in what you believe, to go deeper in what you believe, and to know what you believe so two things can happen. One, if somebody comes up to you and says, why do you believe that? You can sit down and explain to them, this is who, this is who Jesus is. This is why I believe what I believe. And then you can look back at them and say, do you want to believe too? I also hope you can do this. You can take on the challenge of saying, I know what I believe and I know why I believe. And so I'm going to take a young Christian under my arm. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to disciple them and I'm going to help them grow in their faith so that they are certain of the things that they believe so that they too, when asked, why do you believe what you believe? They too can tell others, well, here's what I believe. I believe in Jesus. Would you like to believe in him too? Because I believe that we'll grow in our faith, know what we believe. Listen, we can change the world. Do you believe that? I hope you believe that because Jesus Christ came to change the world. Came to change you. Do you believe? Do you know what you believe? I hope you do this morning. Let's pray together. Our Father, again, we again thank you for your word, which is so true. I thank you for Luke, who was a man that was specific and detailed, orderly, passionate, so that he took the time to write for us an account so that we might know what we believe about Jesus and know that it's true. Help us, Father, as we go through these weeks to be either reaffirmed in what we believe and to grow in what we believe, or, Father, for some, as we go through these weeks, as they get to know who Jesus is, that, Father, they would decide to give their life to him. Father, we know Jesus is the hope of the world. He is our living hope, as we sang earlier. And my prayer this morning would be that there would be some who would come and give their life to this one who died for them. And they would experience eternal life as only Jesus can bring. But for us all, Father, I pray you'll take us deeper. Help us to know you more. Because, Father, I know in a way, Lord, you are inexhaustible. So, Father, just bless us on this journey. Bless now this time of invitation. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.